This morning I was thinking about um, our, our land acknowledgement and I was thinking about um, gifts I've received in the past that couldn't just be, um, I couldn't just be grateful and say thank you once for them because they were just so good. And I feel like living here on the traditional lands of the Stolo, Kwatlin, and Semiami people is a gift worthy of expressing our gratitude each time we gather together. So to those who have called this land home far longer than we have, thank you. We are very grateful. And I'd like to, um, to open this gathering. I'd like to read from this book. I know you guys have... Um, uh, heard us share from this before, several of us. It's called Spirit Wheel by an Indigenous leader by the name of Stephen Charleston. Um, this um, writing is called In the Midst of Creation's Wheel. It was not my hand that sketched the deep valleys of the earth or shaped the jagged edges of the great mountain summit. I did not cast the embers of stars against the night sky or pour the waters of the sea onto the dry land. There is a mind far greater than mine at work, a will and a purpose exceeding what I could even dream. When life seems out of control, I go outside to remind myself of that fact. I stand in the midst of creation's wheel and watch in wonder the quiet majesty of its turning. We are in the care of a love without limit or definition, under the protection of a love that never looks away. Good morning. And welcome to each of you joining us today. I've been away for a couple of weeks due to being ill, but I want you to know that I missed you and I'm thrilled to be back with you this morning. Um, and now um, we're going to move over to Sarah and she's going to lead us in the Visio Divina. Good morning. Um, it's nice to see your faces. It's nice to be back. Thanks for letting me have October to hang out and do other things. It was fun. Um, I've actually been doing a creative contemplative photography course, and I'm just going to share a little bit about that uh, this morning because I've got a photograph that I want us to use for our Visio Divina. The language of photography is really violent. I think about it for a second. We shoot images. Uh, we capture images. We take a photograph. We grab a headshot. How how did that become a thing? Like you grab a headshot? Like what does that even mean? Um, even the slightly less violent but still quite ego focused, we make a photograph. Like it's and so this course has been about receiving images rather than taking them. It's been about waiting for the image to come rather than going out to capture it and take it hostage, um, which has been quite fascinating. Uh, so, yeah, inv we are invited to receive an image, to accept the image as a gift, which is a real flip on how we think about it. So this takes being aware and it takes being receptive. It takes having our eyes up and our hearts open. Um, it takes us just being present 
to be able to really figure that out. So let's just right now, before I show you the image that we're going to look at today, just take a moment to be present. So breathe in and breathe out. And let's just rest in this moment. Obviously repeat that process. Breathe in, breathe out. Perhaps have your arms, your hands open. Drop your shoulders, unclench your jaw. All those things that you've been holding tight and holding on to, we can just let that all go and breathe again. So I want to give you a minute just to observe this image and then I'm going to and then I'm going to talk about it. So this is the picture. First take a minute just to behold the image. And then as you gaze just look around it. Is there somewhere that your eyes rest? Try not to think too much, but just see where you instinctively come to rest. Because that part of the image is probably got a message for you or is calling you in some way. I'll try and describe it for those who are listening on the podcast later. It is an image of a train track moving diagonally from the bottom left-hand corner of the image to the just slightly off-center, three-quarters of the way up. And that's a horizon line that has trees. Uh, There's a house back there. Um, And it's it's an old train line with gravel. um, uh, Those, what are they called? The wooden things that go across between the tracks. And it's in black and white. Photographs and paintings all share the same elements of composition. There is line. You can see line is obvious in this image. There is shape, form, texture, pattern, color, although in this image I've taken that out and just made it black and white, and also story. So my thought in taking the the color away from this image was to just let us focus on the line and maybe on the story. The lines are really strong in this image. Lines can be long or short, thick or thin. Lines are everywhere. Horizontal lines. They're they're going across between the tracks. You can see them going back into the distance. Those lines, horizontal lines help us feel grounded and they provide stability. And we tend to scan the world left to right horizontally. The tree line in this image is the horizon. It's high up in the frame and the sky is a very small part of the image. Vertical lines create a sense of lift and confidence. The vertical lines in here are from the grasses, they're from the trees in the background. We can consider vertical and horizontal lines as like dimensions in our spiritual life where the vertical invokes a God who is transcendent, who exists beyond our normal, and the horizontal, a God who is incarnational, the God who knows our fleshy existence. 
horizontal and vertical lines working together to form grids where our eyes can rest and feel held. But the main type of line in this image actually isn't vertical or horizontal, but it's diagonal. The train tracks disappear into the tree line on the horizon. And that's what draws my eye in this image. Maybe you could put in the chat where your eye came to rest. Thanks, Rig. Yeah, railway ties, that's the word. Um, so where does your eye rest in this image? For me, it's where it disappears into the trees and there's a mystery. What happens there? Where does it go? What's the story in this image? Does the, does the image raise a question for you? The ties and the gravel, foreground, the present where I am right now, the building, the vanishing point. Yeah, right. The house, the lightest ties. Here's a question. Am I on track? Is this the right track? Where does this track lead? I wonder if God might have an invitation to you in this image. So take another moment to gaze. Is there anything else for you to see? Take in the whole of it again. Is there anything else for you to notice that you didn't perhaps see the first time? Oh, that's good. Second place is the shed and the bus. The bus? There's a bus. Oh my gosh, there's a bus. Uh, so I'm back here. This came to me right away. Two things, ideas, people, truths, which shall never meet, but will forever travel together. Reminds me that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life on a journey with Jesus. The black and white makes me think of being a kid again. The railway track isn't the only way to get to the horizon. I've just noticed there's some trees on the right-hand side that are just like sticks, old trees. The right corner where I, uh, where I enter, it's all pretty clearly defined, but leads me to enter into less clearly defined future. Foreground, here and now, the mystery of the track and where it leads are in God's hands. Cool. That's awesome. I love all those different interpretations. So there's no one way to receive an image. There's no one way. There's no one story. Like there's so much to be seen, so much uh, where, how God can talk to us. So let's just pray. God, I'm thankful for all that's been revealed to us in this image and for our imaginative seeing and experiencing. May we have eyes that are open to receive the gifts in the world around us that remind us of your transcendence the God who exists way outside and beyond our normal experience, and also your incarnation. Yeah. 
the God who knows in the person of Jesus what it is to be in our flesh and the mystery of the intersection of those things. Amen. All right, I'm going to hand over to Mark and Leah, and they are going to lead us in communion. Okay. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No one who finds me will ever be hungry again. Those believing in me will never thirst. We gather around these symbols of bread and wine elements of both hope that supports us and the power of God's love. Let us pray. Loving God, you are so close to us as our breath. Your love surrounds us and is available to all. Thank you. We remember on the night when Jesus and the disciples had their last meal, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat it and remember me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to the disciples, saying, Drink this, all of you. This cup is the new eternal hope poured out to release people from their broken ways. Do this, that often as you drink it, to remember the hope that is found in me. In the symbol of the cup, we participate in the new life and hope Jesus brings. Let us pray. We give thanks, loving God, that you have refreshed us with your love at your table. Help us to be stronger in our faith, <clears throat> increase our love for others beyond our own view of the world. May we go out into the world to plant seeds of transformation, affirmation, hope, and above all, love. Amen. Amen. I uh, just want to pray for Myrna. Father God, we just ask that you bless her <clears throat> with a calm spirit <clears throat> and clarity and that uh, each of us might be touched in some way as you, as you uh, have chosen, Lord, through Myrna's words, that we, each of us may be touched today and drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you for that prayer. And it ties into kind of what um, I was hoping to talk about today, which is signs, wonders, miracles, and a goat. Everyone likes goats. So <clears throat> you may want to hang up, but please stay on till the end. Because um, I'm super interested in hearing some of your uh, comments and stories. So to start with, what are some of the, what are signs, wonders, and miracles? Well, I like Pastor Duke Tabor, um, his description of them. So you see there on the slide, it says, miracles when God intervenes in natural events for his purposes. A sign is a warning or an action affirmation used by God to signify that something important um, is going to happen or like, like it's related to direction. 
A wonder is an event that often has been tied to like the supernatural. It leaves us in awe of God's power. It's kind of those moments when you're like, oh my word, like all three are interrelated, um, but they have a different focus. And today I'll mostly be talking about signs from God and receiving signs from God. Um, and then on the next slide, you'll see that signs come, they give direction, but they come in the form of warning or kind of affirmation, warning, giving direction, like don't go there, or this is what can happen or affirmation. And for me, this is a sign that, oh, I get so excited every time I see it. Welcome to Albania. Like nothing makes me happier. And I know I have arrived at the destination I want. Um, God gives similar signs to us as well. But I know when we start talking about signs, wonders, miracles, it freaks people out. Um, and I get that. I was one of those people. So back with the dinosaurs in the 1990s, um, I was hanging out with a friend of mine in Toronto. And during that time, there was a controversial church that was making claims of healings and signs, wonders, and miracles. And people from all over the world were coming to this church uh, in order to be healed. And so my friend Glenna and I, we decided, let's check it out. Let's see, because some of the claims were just like, really? Like, is this possible? And so we arrived. They were selling hot dogs and popcorns. And we we're like, okay, this is really going to be a show. Um, we went in and uh, people were on the ground. Other people were like laughing, but it it felt so chaotic. And it was going on for hours and what what the people would say is when people would be hysterical laughing falling on the ground barking like a dog clucking like a chicken flapping their arms like i like actually we saw all these things um it was a sign that the holy spirit was on them and that they were being they were going to experience a blessing or a healing so glenn and i stayed for a couple hours and we were so kind of freaked out about everything that was happening. We we left. I'm bringing this up not to dis to so much discuss whether I believe that what was happening there was of God or not of God. I bring it up to more talk about how it left me feeling, which was I wanted nothing, absolutely nothing to do with signs, wonders, or miracles, anything supernatural after witnessing what I witnessed at that time. It took a little bit, but then um, one of my loves is philosophy. Um, I kept hearing my philosophy pastor in my head. And, well, not pastor, but teacher in my head. And he kept, I kept hearing, secundum quid, secundum quid, which is basically hasty generalizations. 
Okay, so when you experience something one time and then conclude that anything else that resembles it must be the same. Um, that's not sound logic. It's actually an informal um, fallacy of reason. It, it's not a good way to think. So it takes us back now um, to what does the Bible actually have to say? So in Matthew 12, 38 to 42, this is the passage I'm using. I'm only going to focus on one of the passages from the lectionary, but even this passage was too much to cover. There's a lot in there, but this is what it says. Um, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the teaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. She came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon was is here. So let's unpack this. If we were to take this literally, it would appear that Jesus, kind of number one, does not want to give any kinds of signs or wonders or miracles. It would seem that he is kind of angry that they are asking questions and have doubts, like they're saying, come on, we need this, show us. Um, but is this really what was being said? In my faith journey, it's maybe a little bit different than some others, but two things that have been very significant for me are actually those two things, signs from God and my doubt. My doubt has been uncomfortable, but so good as it has taken me deeper into my faith as I wrestle with my questions and listen to God's response. God has given me signs over and over again as I needed them, and it has revealed more of God to me. So could this passage be saying then something else other than you aren't going to get this. It's no good. And I don't like it. But when I run into these kind of dilemmas, um, <clears throat> the first place I like to dig into, which is likely what you all do as well, is look at the context. So if you would have been at the last service, last live service that we had, and walk past the kitchen, you would have heard me talking with Kathy. And I did say this statement that was, I don't drink coffee. Well, if you know me for like a fraction of a second, you'll know how much I love coffee. But did I say those words? Did I say to Kathy, I don't drink coffee? <laughs> yes, they are lies. No, I did say those words. 
But here is the context. We were talking about me being sick and I get a respiratory problem. I can't drink coffee at that time. What I drink is mate. So I said to Kathy, I don't drink coffee. The context, when I am sick, I drink mate. Then I go back to my coffee. So context for me is absolutely everything and can completely flip a situation to the reverse. So what is the context here? So yes, I apologize for my dog who decides he should be giving this talk and not me, but, or she. Um, let me set the stage of what's going on here. Right before all this took place, and this conversation happened, Jesus was actually doing a lot of miracles, signs, and wonders. So this is some of them. Now, what you need to understand um, that was kind of interesting for me is, as you know, the Bible isn't chronological um, in how it's kind of put together. So when I looked at just the book of Matthew and the signs, wonders, and miracles, I'm like, okay, let's Let's put them in chronological order and let's see what happens. So it says before there. So if you look at these, um, you will see there are nine miracles um, that Jesus did. The ninth one is very significant that we're going to talk about. But this is what was happening right before the conversation. And the conversation happened right after this ninth miracle where Jesus healed a man who had been demon-possessed, blind, and mute. And this is what the religious leaders were doing. They were so power-hungry and chasing their ego and were jealous that people were following Jesus and not them. It blinded them, and their logic went out the window. And so they started to accuse Jesus. They're like, oh, yeah, um, we see that you did that. Yeah, yeah, you did. But this is the evidence we needed. So listen, people, you should not follow Jesus because what Jesus is doing right now is he is using Satan's power to cast that demon out of that man. It's like, uh, what? So you're... Let me get this right. You're saying Satan cast out Satan? Like, that makes more sense to you than Jesus being and doing who he said he was and what he said he would do? Yes, correct. Satan is casting out Satan. Therefore, reject Jesus and follow us. And that is some of the context of what was going on. They did not want a sign from God. They did not want more of God. What they wanted is power to be returned to them. They wanted people to actually turn away from Jesus. So then Jesus said, you aren't getting any signs. So then did all the signs, wonders, and miracles stop? No. If you look at the next slide here, you will see right after Jesus said there would be no more signs, you see this. Then you go to the next slide. 
And then you will see more listed with a big 27. There was 27 signs, miracles, and wonders in just the book of Matthew alone, 18 of which happened after Jesus said, you aren't getting any more signs, wonders, and miracles. Why? Because these other 18 that are listed here, and again, put in chronological order, were all happening to people who were humble, which was not what was going on with the religious leaders. The religious leaders were not happy with this. And like mentioned earlier, their ego, pride, and the pursuit of power was getting in the way. Jesus knew this, and he said, I am playing this game. You aren't looking for a sign. Jesus always honors humility, hates arrogance and pride. And that is what the religious leaders were absolutely full of. He didn't give a sign because they were not looking for one. They were looking for power. So look at what happened chronologically again. Jesus did the opposite kind of of what he was saying. He did more. He did more signs. He did more miracles. What was the common factor? It was doubt. It was the awareness of their need. It was humility. It was a recognition of who God was. God honors humility and 100% of the time, wants to reveal themselves more to us. So in considering the context, Jesus is not saying that he is against doubt or giving signs, but was responding to their arrogance and pursuit of power and denial of him. That is what he was responding to. I find it interesting that he says no to them and closes with, and I gave you that sign of Jonah. Why that? Well, the sign of Jonah points to who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Savior, who died for all of humankind and was raised up from the dead, just like Jonah, to save the whole world. The religious leaders were not just denying what Jesus did, but who he was and claimed to be. Jonah's whole story is one around humility and doubt, both of which God uses. But that's a whole nother sermon I wish I could go into, but I won't. Um, But in other words, what Jesus is saying is if you can't recognize me, you will not recognize what I'm doing. So after considering the context, it does seem that Jesus very much desires to give signs and to reveal himself to us. So how do we do this? And when, for some of you, will she stop talking and show us the goat? She promised us a goat. Okay, here's the goat. So how do we receive more of God. How do we receive these signs? Because some people are like, well, I want more. It just doesn't happen to me. How how does this work? Uh, Do I have to read the Bible like 25 times and then it will start happening? No, Um, not at all. It's about a posture of our heart. God wants to show 
himself to us. This goat, I spell differently, G-O-H-T, and it's kind of like a four-sentence mantra that kind of helps me in this posture. It's not about trying to be the perfect Christian. It's not about that. It's about posture of our hearts towards God. That's it. God wants to reveal themselves to us. So G stands for the first line in kind of my mantra is God have mercy. Because when I start with that, it puts me in a posture of humility as I'm in touch with my need of God and the greatness of the triune God. So much is beyond me. I need you. O stands for open my eyes that I may see. When I was a little girl, one of my favorite games to play was detective. I think I should have been a cop, but that's a whole nother thing. Um, I wanted to be a detective. And what we would do is we would go out and we would find something. So I'd find a popsicle stick and be like, oh, okay, this is a clue to our next clue. So I think this is telling us to go to the store. Then we'd go to the store and then we might find something laying on the ground there. And we'd pick it up and be like, oh, okay. So that's telling us to go here. And we would do this for hours and we would end up actually with some pretty cool stuff. But um, why did we find things? Like I'm sure we drove our bike over that a million times weeks earlier and didn't see it. Well, we saw it this time because we were looking with expectancy. We expected to see our clues and they were there. And so it's open my eyes that I may see. Then H, I know this is where it gets weird. It's not how you spell goat. It's how I spell goat. Uh, H stands for help my unbelief was going through some hard things um, and conversations not that long ago. And I didn't know how to navigate some of it. They just kept seeming to become worse and worse and worse. And uh, so I was praying. I was asking God for a sign. Really wasn't getting much. And then I went, took my dog for a walk. That part's normal. Um and we always go the same way in the morning. And this particular morning, Angel refused to walk that direction. And so she went totally different way. Um, so we went that way. It's her walk. And um, then she just sat down, which if you know my dog, well, you've heard my dog. Uh, she's got a lot of energy. Uh, she likes to go. And she just sat down. And I'm like, okay, now what? And then I heard this shuffling behind me and it allowed this homeless person to kind of catch up to us. They didn't look at me, didn't acknowledge me. They kept their head down, walked past Angel and I. Angel's still sitting, not making a peep. I wish that could happen now, but she wasn't making a peep then. And um, the lady turned around, looked right at me 
and uh, gave me the warmest smile that I think I've ever seen. Like it went right through me. Then she looked me dead in the eyes and said, curiosity, put her head down and off she went. And even till this day, when I tell that story, I get chills all the way through my body and I froze. And I'm like, who does that? Like, but I knew it was God. But what did my brain start to do in that moment? Well, help my unbelief. I tried to throw away the gift. It's like, oh, it was probably my dog. She probably, my dog probably did something and she thought my dog was curious. So what? Like if God used my dog, so what? Actually, she wasn't doing anything. She was just sitting there. But aside from that, I was trying to get rid of it, just like what the religious leaders were. So the mantra is, God, have mercy. Open my eyes that I can see how my unbelief and T stands for thank you that you are who you say you are. Now, sometimes we are in a posture to receive from God. And we are humble. We want more. We, we are right there. And it seems so silent. I've been there multiple times times and one of the hardest times when I was there is my son ah try to get through this my son was a Ukrainian soldier and uh, he was kidnapped by the Russians we didn't know where he was for three days we didn't know dead or alive And I've never been in a situation where I was so gutted, fell flat on the floor, didn't know how to pray because there was no scenario I could come up with where Dima would come up, <clears throat> come out of this life. If he did not fight for the Russians, they told him they would shoot him dead right there. If he said he would fight for the Russians, they wouldn't trust him and they would put him as a shield and he would be killed. If by some miracle he got away, um, the Ukraine wouldn't trust him because they wouldn't know if he's a mole or so he's at higher risk again there. There's no way out of this. And I kept pleading with God for a sign that somehow he would protect him. And there was nothing. And then I felt God whisper to me. And I want you to hear the full context because I don't want it to get distorted. But what God said to me in that time was he said, Myrna, will you trust me? Will you still have a relationship with me? If Dima dies. And this was not God testing me. God didn't care if my answer was yes or no. He didn't care. This was not a test. He was doing something different for me. Um, it was a realization of a much bigger picture going on. And that sometimes the miracles are not in the things seen 
but in the things unseen that we are unaware of. I realized that God truly was more than a genie in a bottle that I rub when I want something. And if I don't get what I want, I throw it away. I realized, really realized how important the relationship I have with God is and that it's not dependent on circumstance. And that brought me comfort in the tears and in the horror of that situation. God loved Dima more than I loved Dima. And so I could say in that moment, yes, I trust you because I know you have nothing to do with this. And so the question he was trying to resolve for me in my heart, maybe wasn't what I wanted in that moment, but it was what I needed in that moment, was when you're having a hard time understanding what the hand of God is allowing, can you understand his heart, the character of God, who God claims to be? That is where the religious leaders went really off course in our passage. They didn't recognize who God was. So they couldn't recognize what God was doing. So thank you, God, that you are who you say you are. So the mantra that helps me and maybe helps you in a posture before God to receive more from him, to receive more of his signs, is God have mercy. Open my eyes that I may see. Help my unbelief. And thank you that you are who you say you are. And may this next week, God show up for all of us. Maybe not in every way that we want, but in absolutely every way that we need. Happy goading. Thank you, Myrna. Um, that's a lot to consider, right? And I love where you landed with that. And even the, you know, if you can't recognize me, you're not going to recognize what I do. And I've, I have met a lot of people who have just said, yeah, well, I needed this miracle to happen and it didn't. And so I don't, I have no capacity for God anymore. Um, but it, it's so much bigger than that. And um, there's so much more curiosity that we need about how God might be working in our lives and an understanding that he knows our needs far greater than we may know ourselves. You didn't tell us what happened to Dima. Could you do that for us? There is a good ending. So it wasn't contingent that I said yes. If I said no, the ending would have been the same. I do believe that. But Dima finally has gotten out of Ukraine and he is in America and he's doing well. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to.
close with a little prayer. And um, thanks for joining us this morning. So, Jesus, just as we are reminded of your presence with us this morning, we also recognize that as we depart, we are still in your presence. We cannot wander away from you, for you are within us. May we enter into this new week with the deep knowing that you are with us always. Amen.